With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another episode of Lakeside Drive, an F1 podcast focused on you, the listener. In this episode, we're previewing the French Grand Prix. And I'm joined by my friend and yours, Thomas J. Kemp. G'day, mate. How are you, mate? You well? I'm very well. Thank Looking you. Well. Thank you. It's good to be here in person uh, with you as well, listener. And uh, thank you so much for watching this on YouTube. If you're here and you haven't subscribed yet, please consider subscribing. It makes a huge difference to us. TJC, lots is going on at the moment, my man. It's been a couple of weeks since we've had you on the podcast. Um, now, there has been some interesting conversation going on around McLaren, Daniel Ricciardo. That hasn't really stopped <laughs> since we spoke no, last. No. Um, I'd like to get your view on it, your hot take, your hot tip, if I can, about your thoughts on what is an ongoing situation. Yeah, look, uh, Colton Herder just tested last week too. He had two days at uh, at Portimao. And from all accounts, he was spectacular. Um, he was driving last year's car. Uh, he didn't really say he felt the limit at times, but couldn't really push any harder as he's getting used to the car. So um, doesn't look good for Danny Rick and its future after next year, unless he pulls something out of the bag. But um, Zach Brown did an interview with an Australian chick over here. What was her name? Jess. Jess uh, Yates, is that it? Um, and... Really open conversation. Um, she asked a question. You criticised Daniel. What's going on? And he said, "Oh, the media blew it." Zach Brown said, "The media blew it up a bit. It was uh, it was more about um, they are committed to Daniel, mm. and Daniel is committed to them. The working environment's great. They're all working hard. They're all pushing forward for the same things. But Zach's comments were exactly the same as Daniel's comments behind closed doors. That they're not where they want to be. It's not the car that he wants to drive. They're not giving him the car that he wants to drive. But Daniel's not performing the way he wants to perform too. I think it's just an open and honest conversation about really where they're at. Um, from all accounts, behind closed doors, everything's hunky-dory and they love each other. Daniel has the option for next year. I don't think he'll walk. Uh, he released a statement in the last couple of days on Twitter or Instagram too saying, I'm not going anywhere. I love this sport. So I don't think next year it'll be a Lando Ricardo show. Moving on from that into 2024 and beyond. Could be a different story, but I mm. think McLaren's got a chance to another chance to get rid of the car design they've got this year, make a step forward, and then hopefully the Mercedes engine will catapult them to where they want to be next year. Because I think if you look at the Mercedes engine across the board, those teams are struggling and they're the worst four teams on the grid. So when you take look at Williams, Aston Martin, McLaren, and who's the other one? Uh, and the works team, I mean, it's the Ferrari engines like the Haases that are making the jumps that we saw Alpha Tauri and that do last year. So, um, look, it's interesting. It's hard to watch as a fan. It's bloody tough to be a Bombers fan, an All Blacks fan, and a Daniel <laughs> Ricciardo fan at the moment. 
Oh, Just seemed to be shitting the bed at every stage possible. <laughs> it's tough to watch sport. It was good to see Cam Smith get a win last night yes, in the golf. Yes, how good. We should start a golfing podcast well, uh, not, purely based on his win alone. Not a golfing man at all, but I can tell you what, I was up all night last night watching it, so it was good. I but, love when um, he raised the trophy and he said, I can tell you what, I'm going to be seeing how many beers fit into this for sure. <laughs> <laughs> love the Australianness yeah. of that. Campy, I've got this question for you because – it's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit. And and for me, it almost feels like Daniel's on the path of Mark Webber. Hurts me to say. The only problem is he didn't have a 2010, I almost won the world championship yep. moment. Now, McLaren is currently fourth in the standings with 81 points. Yep. Alpine is currently fifth in the standings with 81 points. Yep. Now, historically, if we looked at Renault and the design development of that car when he was with... Nico Hülkenberg, as yep. well as Esteban Ocon, it was very clear, wasn't it, that Daniel was the top driver in yep. that team. Yep. So in your mind, is it was it almost a shame to leave a works team, a manufacturer team, because that's what it is, to go to a customer team where it it hasn't been that I mean, we encouraged him to go to McLaren, didn't we? So it's all our fault well, instead of Ferrari. He should have done everything we said not to do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Classic. We've that's, got uh, we're, all the big stuff when it comes to Danny Rick, we've got wrong. We said stay away from Ferrari and, mm. well, look where we egg on our face there. So. It's an interesting moment, though, is thinking about Alpine's development, isn't it? Because is is it fair to say that where they sort of were last year, and, I mean, big beluga-looking airbot thing on top of the yep. car, which was very ridiculous, uh, Danny would have had input into that design, into yep. that development. Esteban Ocon has achieved great things in this car, and he's not a good dri- as good a driver as Daniel nope. Ricciardo. I mean, this nope. is a obviously what could have been. Yeah. But 2024 comes up, brand new season for him, for DR, I mean. There was conversations at Renault that said, oh, if Daniel ever wanted to come back, we'd have welcomed him with open arms. But now they've got two junior Australians, not just DR. Yeah. Is there any chance that DR ever makes it back to a works team? Um, I look, I don't think so. No, mm. unfortunately, Mercedes is sewn up for the near future. Um, I mean, if Hamilton decides to retire, I don't know who replaces him. Who, who, war game is out with me. Who would replace someone at Mercedes at the moment? Who's in their junior categories coming through? That well, that's a great question. Or who, but Mercedes haven't historically replaced a new driver coming into the works team. It's already someone in their system lined up through. Yep. So if you look at the Mercedes drivers on the grid, you've got Albon mm-hmm. and he's got it over Latifi. There's no way Latifi's going to a works team. You've got Vettel and Stroll. Vettel's passed it. There's no way Mercedes are putting Stroll in the top team. The other McLaren team is Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo. And the logical the logical at the, at the moment would be Take Lando, so it's a Lando and George show. What happens if they look external to Nick DeVries and Stoffel Van Dorn? It's not going to happen. Mercedes aren't going to put an unproven F1 driver without two or three years' experience into their top team. That's the only spot that's going to open up. Red Bull's sold, Ferrari's done, and they're the three cars that you really want to be in on track record. Mercedes, McLaren has a Big history, mm. but they haven't done a lot since 1999 to 1998 well, or 2008 Hamilton. with Hamilton. Yeah. But it's different. They were a works team then with yep. a Mercedes motor. Exactly right. And, um, you know, before that was the Mika Hakkinen era, before oh. Schumacher's dominance. Dominance. Oh. 
If you look at the team and the organisation since then, they haven't done a lot. I understand why they made the Honda move when they did because they had to. That relationship was broken. But in hindsight, look at them now. I mean, if Alonso didn't stuff that relationship up, would they have continued? I think it was the right call to make at the time. No one was saying it. But this year, first year of new regs and the Mercedes engine being the worst engine on the grid, well, who knows? What, who what knows? do you, Like, what do you do? And Danny's in a hard spot at the moment. He is. He's... He's not racing for his career at the moment, but next year he is. And if he's having the same performances that he's had in the last 18 months, next year, well, that's that's almost right off your career. And he's not going to go back to a – he's not going to do a Kimi or a Valtteri and go back to an Alfa Romeo because why would you? Yeah. He's been in a top organisation for his for his whole life. So with the exception of HRT and Alfa Tauri when he made his debut for those oh, – Toro Rosso – for the first three years of his career, so it's a tough one. We know he's got it in him. He, it's, I don't. I don't think he's dropped off that much. I think it's the car, mm. and the car's just not working for the way he wants it. And we, we we've talked about that the whole all year. It's not the car that he wants. He wants a Red Bull design, massive rake. He wants to be able to throw that car in with the front end and control that oversteer so the back end's not kicking out, but that's not the sort of car they've got. They've got a car that's shocking under braking. The understeer completely is against Danny Rick's driving style. When he throws it in, the car just oversteers everywhere and the back end's trying to step out under braking. It's a pig of a car to drive. But Lando's getting the job done, so mm. it's it's tough to watch. It is tough to watch. Uh, very hard from an Australian point of view, uh, but... We're keen to know your thoughts, actually, and the best place to do that is Discord. So jump across to our Discord server if you're not already part of the community. There's a good 350 of us over there. Uh, We're now doing daily polls, daily questions, uh, all about Formula One, about the show, about all that sort of other stuff. Really great uh, way to engage with us. You'll find uh, both of us on there as well. You'll find Tommy T, Freya, and Dave Munnis too. Now let's talk a little bit about this I have bloody flexi wings, bloody flexi floors, bloody flexi yep. anything on a Formula One car, Campy. We said last episode that we'd have a bit of a chat this week about this flexi floor, the stopper. Yep. What What is going on with it? Where is Where are the gains and who's who's taken advantage of it? Well, it looks like Ferrari and Red Bull are the ones that have taken advantage of it. Essentially, it's a plank underneath the floor, which is not – if you read the rules, it's really straight and clear. There is to be no flex – in the plank underneath the car, they take the, the they take a measurement of where the of the flex. It's right at the front of the car, and then mm. just just forward of the where your bum would be when you're driving. But that leaves a whole you know 1.8 meters back on this plank at the rear of the car, which they don't check. Now it seems to me that Red Bull and Ferrari have got enough flex in that in that in in the rear part of this plank, which allows the car to almost drop down another two or three mil, which is where the best downforce is created is when your car's on the ground. If you look at them through corners, they are so much lower to the ground than every other car on the grid. Look at a McLaren, and there's a visible gap, and on the right angle, you can see right underneath the car. You cannot do that with a Ferrari or a uh, with a Red Bull car. So what this new technical development technical regulations coming through is stopping that flex on the rear so i presume they're gonna they're going to be putting some sensors and some measuring sticks about where they are flexed um 
to try and combat it. They say it's for porpoising, but it's to bring back the the dominance of the Ferrari and Red Bull this year, which we have seen. We see it every year in Red uh, in Formula One. It's not anything new. Mm. People will kick up a wind and say, oh, Mercedes is doing this. Well, they do it to Mercedes with engine modes and those sort of things too. Speaking to a few people behind closed doors, it sounds like the engine mode rule is really holding Mercedes back at the moment. They've got a hell of a lot more performance in it, but they don't have the sustained reliability over a race to race the cars in some of those modes that they've had previously as well. So, um, look, the FIA and the F1 is always going to peg back teams that are far further in front to create more driving. And if you look at the gains that Mercedes have made, particularly in the last three races, not so much in Austria, um, but they've been a hell of a lot closer on race pace, you know, Silverstone. Look, Hamilton mm. was battling right the way there, right for podiums. And it was close. I know some on-tracks things happen. But the race pace, they seem to have jumped that, you know, three or four tenths a lap better than what they had been going all year. So it wouldn't surprise me if Mercedes, if this rule does come to pass and it does show some, you know, some fruition that Mercedes will jump up again and potentially close that gap even more. I still think that the Ferraris and Red Bulls have it on race pace over them. But, Mm. hey, some jeopardy when qualifying thrown in, get Hamilton on pole leading a race, tough car to overtake at times and, you know, we could see some different results play out. So I think it's good for the sport. I think it's good for the whole for everybody on the grid, especially McLaren and Danny Rick, but hey, that's where we're at at the sport at the moment. It'd be interesting. Thank you for that. That's really great. Uh, and certainly my non-technical mind, that makes it a lot easier to understand. Yeah. It certainly makes sense though, doesn't it? When you look at the spread of the field at the moment and the and the performance of Ferrari initially were just, oh, see you later. Yeah. The reliability issues are that Red Bull had and now the reliability issues that Ferrari have. Yep. So... How does that then play out, do you think? This is like, let's war game it. I like that that term. How does that play out then for the rest of the year? Mercedes still have more to give in this engine. They haven't had a reliability no. issue scare, scare like Red Bull and Ferrari have had yep. all the way up and down their um, customer teams as well, or customer team being AlphaTauri in this instance. Do you think, I mean, we're now just over halfway through the season. It feels like we've done a whole season already, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, there's been 11 races. So we're going into round 12, I think, or round 13. It's going to be one of them uh, in France. Yep. Mercedes have come out in last week and said, look, we actually think there's a real opportunity here for victory going into the French Grand Prix. Yeah. That floor thing aside, and let's say that the French Grand Prix, Hungarian Grand Prix, which the next two, we then go on the summer break, the summer shutdown, and then it's the a Belgian Grand Prix at Spa. That's the first one back where this rule comes into play. Is there, in your mind, enough racing for the rest of the year for Mercedes dominance to come back to really bring in this championship battle? And the reason I ask that is because looking at the standings at the moment, you've got Max Verstappen on 208 points, then you've got 170 Charles Leclerc, 151 Sergio Perez, 133 Carlos Sainz, and then 128 George Russell, 109 Lewis Hamilton. It might be that George gets some of the luck that he's had this year. I mean, Lewis Hamilton, we could probably all agree, for the last 10 years has had yep. all of the luck. You think about Silverstone a couple of years ago, yep. went over the line, three wheels. Yep. Uh, all of these amazing things where you think, how has he done that and Valtteri Bottas has got none of that luck? Maybe the poison chalice has disappeared uh, to Alfa Romeo and George maybe has an ability at least to catch that second position. Yeah, I mean, Lewis has had three podiums on the trot now, so the car is getting better. Mm. Yes, they've made some progress and Ferrari's had some issues as has Red Bull. I mean, Sergio Perez crashing out lap one. Um, those things help. 
but Mercedes are right there. I think the gap's probably too big. But even inter-team battles, if you look at the Hamilton-Rosbergs, there were some massive swings of 45 points. And then over a season, 100 points is not – I mean, all you need is for Red Bull to crash out of two and Hamilton or Mercedes capitalise on that and 50 points. And then that gap comes down a lot. So I think there's a bit more to play out in the season. I don't, I don't think it'll change too much, but it will definitely help. Mercedes a hell of a lot more than what it will. It will hinder the Red Bulls and the Ferraris moving forward. And then, but the back end of the season, because of the amount of DNFs and Ferrari engine blows up and the problems that Red Bull have had earlier in the season too, that will come back to bite them in the arse at some stage. And it's the last four or five races where they're going to have to change, you know, two or three gearboxes and start taking penalties a lot of the time on, you know, on tracks that are not great for overtaking. That's when Mercedes have to pick their game up and get the job done, really. So, who knows? Who knows? We'll wait and see. It's been, I'll tell you what, it's been a really interesting year from the get-go yeah. in the sense that it's been a really tough year to watch. Yes. And it's. I, I know that for Australian fans and even our fans, it's like it's getting a bit jaded F1 at the moment. Yep. It's been tough. But this second half of the year, I think we've got all the makings of a really cracking season coming up. I think there's generally six drivers on the grid moving forward that can win at any one time. Then you throw your Landos and your Danny Ricks in there who can get results on tracks. Um, we know that. I think McLaren will be good around Monza again because mm. um, their car's very extreme in one way and it works in Monza. It doesn't work anywhere else. But, <laughs> um, I, wish I wish it did too, but they're the places that Mc, McLaren have learnt too that to get their car to win a world championship, it needs to be extreme in so many areas. And I think they pushed the boundary too far in going in one direction at the start mm. of this year which ultimately stuff them up. So It's going to be interesting to see how then the next couple of races go. Let's look ahead now to the French Grand Prix. It is a French Grand Prix preview episode. Absolutely your favourite track in the calendar, true or false? Oh, false. <laughs> so much. <laughs> uh, now, look, let's let's just have a look back to what happened last year. Uh, Max Verstappen. Sorry, is the chicane cut out this year or was that last year? They cut out one of the chicanes, so the back straight's even longer than what it was. It's still, it's still that. It still goes into that little kinky chicane. Kinky God. chicane is a poor use of words. Kink kinky. into a chicane <laughs> in the middle of the back straight. Otherwise, it'd just be sitting there porpoising for a good 40 seconds going, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. Insert good kinky porpoising joke there. <laughs> it's all gone terribly wrong. Oh, I'm nearly uh, married. My mind's in the gut. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Lots of porpoising in the camp household. I can now, assure you. Wow, good. Things that I didn't need to know. Um, or anyone else, really, for that, that point. Um, last year... It was an inverse of Spanish Grand Prix. Spanish Grand Prix, remember, um, Max Verstappen pitted once, Lewis Hamilton pitted twice, caught him in the last yep. second or last lap. Yep. In the French Grand Prix, reverse happened. Uh, Lewis Hamilton pitted twice, Max Verstappen only pitted once. On 52 of 53, yep. uh, Max managed to get past. So the interesting thing, uh, sorry, the other way around. The interesting thing in that is that all of this strategy going into the race yep. will be completely thrown out the window yep. because... More often than not, we say it's a one-stop race, French Grand Prix. Tarmac's pretty good with tyres. Degradation isn't as bad. It's not as good as Silverstone, which just happens to like absolutely not degrade tyres whatsoever, it looks like. Or even Australia, if you're Alex Albon, you don't need to change tyres whatsoever. Um, But the French Grand Prix, as silly as it looks on television, 
Let's think about it from the new car's point of view. Now, there are a stack of overtaking opportunities yep. if you can get right up behind the car in front, which yep. a 2022 car can do. So my question is, as much as we like, and you have put the French in the bin, <laughs> fair enough, as much as that's happened, objectively looking at the track, do you think this actually might, with the new regulations, might be one of those tracks that will surprise us and go from being really rubbish to watch and very boring and, and very bright to actually very the, decent? The French build submarines a lot the way they build racetracks. <laughs> they are fucking shit <laughs> Outdated and technology's rubbish. They don't. They don't build them. You mean? <laughs> yeah, they don't build them. <laughs> it's got no contracts. Got yeah. no. Con- um, yeah, I hate this track. It's just such a boring track. There is some very high speed straights and long straights, which I think I think we can enjoy. But they'll just peg it back by making the DRS lines different to what they were in previous years. Saw at Baku this year. Mm. DRS line came so much further forward that. Yes, it was still a passing opportunity, but not the passing opportunities that we've seen in previous years. So, um, FIA will combat that. But geez, I'd love to, I'd love them to leave that DRS way back where it was a couple of years ago. That would be unbelievable in this year's car. Oh yeah, um, how much strategy would go into that? It's like lap one at Spa, right? Yes, down the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever the straight's called, I can't remember. Camel? No, no, that's that's good. Just name any corner and people will believe you. (laughs) Anyway, um, so look, this track's hard to watch on TV because of all the – there's no gravel traps. It's all red and blue stripy lines. (laughs) (laughs) It's just ridiculous. But um, no, look, I don't think so. If we go this year, I think there's been more pit stops this year. Mm -hmm. So probably a two pit stop race strategy, which is not good for McLaren. Mm. Um, What compounds we got see? One, think, two, and three. I think they're, they're yeah, the so extreme. Automatically a shit round for uh, <laughs> McLaren. McLaren. Don't quote us on that, but I believe no, that McLaren's that's the – McLaren's good uh, on the harder compound tyres. As soon as they get to the super soft and the soft, they've got no pace. They'll have good true. pace on the C3 over the race distance, but, you know, when they go to that soft, they'll be three laps in and gone. So Now, here are the results from last year. Max Verstappen first, Lewis yep. Hamilton second, yep. Sergio Perez third. Valtteri Bottas fourth, Lando Norris fifth, Daniel Ricciardo sixth, yep. Pierre Gasly seventh, Fernando Alonso eighth, Seb Vettel ninth, Lance Stroll tenth. Mm. It's an interesting, very Mercedes heavy, dominant. Don't have the top speed this year. Mm. They just don't have the top speed down the straights. I think you'll see all of the Mercedes cars down the back of the grid this weekend just because top speed is no good. Doesn't matter how much downforce you trim. The engine ain't there. It can't get you. Can't project you up the road. Get the torque into the rear wheels and out of the corners quicker than anyone else. So they'll struggle all weekend. It's it's going to be one of those things that, as you say, the runoff areas mean that if you do go off, it's not like Austria yep. where you're going to get punished in a gravel trap like Seb Vettel, which is unfortunate, that. or any – any Red Bull on the outside of a Mercedes into turn four. <laughs> do, you remember that? do you remember that stupid penalty Danny Rick got in the Renault? Oh. On oh. the last lap, past like three dudes going off track. Like it wasn't even off track. It was, wasn't on the racing line. It was so off the racing line. Yeah, but yeah, okay, he crossed the light yeah, line. And so dumb. So that's another interesting point. And again, you went on the uh, review episode for the Austrian Grand Prix, but yep. track limits. They were, it was hardcore policing. It was, everything was going on. This is what we've sort of been speaking about, especially Tommy T, yep. shout out to him, who is in the next room. He's just not interested yeah. in being here talking to you lovely people today. Yeah. Um, but this is what we've said. The white line is the limit of the track. Yep. End conversation. Yep. 
So Perfect. it has to be the same probably for, for the French Grand Prix too, especially considering that you can just go off a little bit and you're not punished yeah. by any gravel or grass. The only thing I would say is I don't mind on a track like this, you can take a hell of a lot more risk yeah. and the reward could pay off. But um, yeah, if you gain an unfair advantage, police time, that's what we want to see. Interesting to see Massey step down from all of uh, F1 and FIA operations as of last week. So he's moved on and... Mate, it'd be great to have a chat to that guy, wouldn't it? Because I reckon this year's been just as bad as last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to – interesting and yeah, bringing it up. It's an interesting one. Um, Massey has announced that he's leaving the FIA. He's released a statement that's basically saying he's leaving the FIA. That's it. Wasn't much of a statement. No. Um, that he wants to spend more time with his family back here in Australia. Not a bad thing. Uh, yep. The FIA sold him out to dry. Regardless if you're a Lewis fan or a Max fan, regardless if you think that you would have made a better decision, you weren't in the chair. We weren't in the chair. Uh, and it's all well and good for us to literally, quite literally yep. be sitting on the couch as couch experts to think about it. But at the end of the day, he was under Charlie Whiting, who excellent. made that, who was excellent, but he also made that role for himself, basically. Like yep. no one else could do that role except for Charlie Whiting. So the sudden passing away of Charlie, which is incredibly sad, yep. Michael stood up and did a great job for a long time. Now, there was a yep. whole bunch of context going into yeah. his decision and the comment about we went motor racing total and all that stuff. And I mean, it's given us great sound bites like Michael. And if you're part of our F1 fantasy league name yeah. competition, great. I mean, you're killing it in, in that respect, but really for him outside of that, he was a pretty bloody good race director. Wasn't he? Yeah. I think a big part of this is like, you've got to work with the drivers. I mean, they're his number one contact every week and the people racing on this track. He's their representative. He will get things changed if they want things changed. There's consensus, but he's also he's also the decision maker. He's like the he's the principal at school, right? He yeah. makes all the big calls. And yes, six months on from that decision, I'm still frustrated with how it played out. Mm. But there is so much more context to what it was going on behind closed doors and the conversations they're having that led up to that, which we're not a privy or be a part of. But what we do know is with Sebastian Vettel walking out of the, mm. the, the driver's team meeting is that these drivers don't have respect for the process and the people that are involved at the moment. And I think, like anything, whether it be in life, not just motorsport, respect of your peers and the level of, you know, Whatever the position, but the respect from the peers is not there. And the FIA has lost confidence in all the drivers. And Sorry, the drivers have lost confidence mm. in the FIA and the way they're handling things. I think he probably had to go, which is a shame and we shouldn't, you know, I, you know, I made some comments last year that six months later I, and now we're looking at the situation. The FIA has got some big shoes to fill and they need someone to go in there and get the respect of the peers. Listen, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a dictatorship. You've got to work with people. And I think we're just hearing the rumblings of what's going on behind closed doors at the moment. And I know from a sporting perspective, we would love to see what goes inside on inside some of these meetings. And they've given us some glimpses at times, but I just don't think it's a place where, we should have that access because it's a whole lot more context that we don't fully understand, we don't get. It's for them. And uh, I think it's a, sh- it's a shock and it's a really poor way for that whole thing to end. But I hope he writes a book and he gets to tell his side of the story one day because his side of the story is going to be 
very different to that of Mercedes and or Red Bulls and that sort of stuff. There's going to be stuff going on behind closed doors. He may have been pressured from people at the top as well. We don't know if yep. people are making phone calls to him and, you know, during that outside of the teams and yeah, he's been hung out to dry, but... Hey, let's get him on here and have a chat. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? I'll certainly try my best to see if Michael Massey <laughs> wants to come and have a chat with us. Uh, it, it's interesting, though, isn't it, that we've now, since then, and since the No Michael No and Toto We Went Motor Racing, we haven't had any comms or any Good. cameras inside the FIA room. But I was just going to ask, from a spectator point of view, have you? do you feel like you've lost anything? No. Nope. Nope. No. Not at all. Exactly right. So I think F1 Not made the... I mean, it was a necessary decision. I don't know why they kept putting it in there. And there's certainly reports that Michael is a shy guy when it comes to being on camera, can make decisions and, and is very well liked amongst the paddock generally. Still is. So anyway, it's, it's a bit of a shame. And yes, I mean, if you go back to listen to our episodes from last year, we did put him in the bin a couple of times. It's like we put Pierre Gasly in the bin. doesn't mean we want him to leave. We just have a hot take sometimes. And we have to remember that the stewards are different to the race director. Yeah. And it's a, it's tough. We want consistency, but then there's no consistency in the sport anywhere across the board. So no, that's so true. Other than probably the calendar every year. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably the most consistent part of it. And sport, even then, so. who knows? Who knows what's going on with next year? Uh, so there does are, Melbourne – sorry, change track. Does Melbourne get the opening Grand no, Prix next year? No. So we've blown that? Yep. What a damn shame that is. And also, uh, I'm hearing that Spa – is is close to being cut yeah, from next spars year. Spa's on the nose. Which is ridiculous, yeah. I think. It's, it's everyone's favourite track. Everyone's favourite track. It's the most picturesque track. Mm. I mean, what, It's radiant, actually. What else does Belgium do for the use... world other than Spa? Well, oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Take the French and the Belgians all in one episode. This is what you get here at Lakeside Drive. No, I think it would be an absolute damn shame uh, because it's an incredible track. And abs- apart from the fiasco that was last year, that was just ridiculous. Uh, yeah. um, and it would be worth, if Michael, if you're listening, please write a chapter specifically on the Spa. pressures that you found around that Grand Prix in Belgium. Well, look, that's our preview of the French Grand Prix. Plenty to happen in the next couple of weeks, Campy. Now, give me your top three. Who's your podium pick for the weekend? Uh, Max, Lewis, Carlos. Interesting. Carlos V. That now, goes against everything I've said I <laughs> about Mercedes being shit this weekend. But in. <laughs> Hamilton's on a roll, and you've got to back him to get another podium. If three in a row, hey, four in a row is very achievable. Yep, and there's plenty of meat on the table, isn't there, for the Ferrari boys at the moment. Are you starting to see a little bit now, apart from this reliability issue situation, are you starting to see any cracks in this Ferrari team? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I was I, Look, I think where Bernardo's bought this team from, after Maurizio Arriva Benny, after he left, Bonotto, that oh, geez, what a challenge. I was very complimentary of him this year. But I think we need to now where they're at as a team and they're on the it's the second best car or the best car at any given racetrack. Our the way that we look and judge Ferrari as an organization, as a team, what they're doing on track. We're starting to change that now. The parameters have changed and they're getting closer and closer because, hey, they're in a world championship fight. They got – Bernardo's got them where they need to be and where they should be. But now we start to – like, if you want a world championship, hey, those parameters close in and they're not there yet. Their reliability, they've got to get on top of that. Uh, I think Carlos, he will take more points off Leclerc than Leclerc will get out in front and that may be what costs them. Mm. Um, although I think Leclerc's been the better driver all year. Carlos can still pull out performances that will take points off uh, Leclerc at times. Leclerc threw it away, though. 
a couple of races to Silverstone, threw it away twice. And uh, for Carlos to get that win, that was a bit of a kick in the face. That was that reminded me of the Weber, not bad for a second driver. Yes, yeah. Um, so I think we know where the pecking order is in the team, but I think if Ferrari want to win, they're going to have to cut one of their drivers off and allow Charlie to get up the road as much as he can. And historically, that's what's happened. They've, yeah. Your Rubens to Michael, yeah. you know, yeah. Eddie Irvine, the, the others that have been there and Felipe Massa have have potentially some, like, almost been the first driver and then yep. new talents come in around them and it's been hard to watch. But then when Ferrari decide who their driver is, oh yeah, that's that it. second driver, look at Vettel in his last year. Yep. That wasn't because he was driving poorly. No. That was because they made that decision and, hey, they do things to their cars which limits their performance and that's it. Well, I think for the French Grand Prix, you're going to see Charles Leclerc on the top step followed by Carlos Sainz and then George Russell oh, because I feel some Red Bull reliability issues coming. I don't know why. I have absolutely nice. nothing to back that up, but I feel like Red Bulls, uh, they're due for something to happen to them. It sort of seems to be every other race that it happens, a Ferrari or a Red Bull. Yeah. Uh, certainly Sergio Perez had some issues last time, but anyway, it's going to be interesting. Uh, thank you so much for listening and for watching wherever you are in the world. Don't forget, you can couple of ways of engaging with us on this podcast. You can join our Discord server, as I said earlier in the episode, it's about 350 of us. Uh, great community over a race weekend. We're all chatting. It's it's fantastic to, to well, it's, sometimes it's hard to read when we're like, DR, no, what? Oh, come on, McLaren. Uh, that's a lot of that going on. Especially the when he gets in front at the oh, start. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, he's been told to stay behind. Uh, you can also uh, follow us on social media. Uh, we've got TikTok, we've got uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. You can find me as well on all of those platforms. Campy through the Lakeside Drive channels. We just tell him in screenshot what's going on. But it is time to say goodbye. We'll see you next Monday for our review episode of the French Grand Prix. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Okay. Oh, happy? No, you're not. But no. we're gonna do it anyway. Sports Social Podcast Network.